So as we as we look this morning, we are in chapter three, beginning with verses seventeen and right through to twenty one. And I'm gonna I know we just read them, but I'm gonna reread them really quickly here. It says, And now, brethren, it also could be friends or Greek brothers. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for establishing all that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Amen? Amen. A lot there, and we're going we're gonna to talk all about that. There's, we, we, we talked this morning a little bit about the times of refreshing. We were talking about uh, my father and my mother who are currently in Puerto Rico and they're, well, I, I don't think this morning that they're lounging on a beach, but sometime during these next uh, two weeks, I'm sure that they will spend some time relaxing and being refreshed. And that's the purpose for them going off to, uh, off to Puerto Rico is to have a time of refreshing. And that is the, that is the, the, uh, the title of my sermon this morning, Times of Refreshing. And we kind of think, we kind of, try and tie this to the church, and hopefully by the, by the end of this sermon, or, or, or as you follow my train of thought, you'll see that what, what, what Peter is talking about is that it's not only refreshing as far as, refreshing, times of refreshing as far as that end time that we all look to when Christ returns and he, he, he um, puts all things right, but it's also times of revival for the church. And I have a few quotes on revival that I want to read, uh, read to you. The first one is from A.W. Tozer. It goes, Have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. Another, another uh, pastor, uh, theologian, uh, puts it like this, to look back upon the progress of the divine kingdom upon earth is to review revival periods, which have come like refreshing showers upon dry and thirsty ground, making the desert to blossom as the rose and bringing new errors of spiritual life and activity just when the church has fallen under the influence of the apathy of the times. That's E.M. Bounds, E.M. Bounds. And then finally, uh, a favorite pastor and speaker of mine, uh, Dr. John Piper, he, he, he writes, when I pray for revival, I pray first for the most radical thing, the utter devotion and allegiance of your hearts to, to Christ, that you would love him so deeply and long for him so passionately that his coming would be your great hope, and death would be gain, and life would be for Christ and his kingdom. So, Peter's sermon 
gives the church reason to rejoice and to expect revival. You don't hear too many preachers talking about uh, revival anymore. It's, it's almost become somewhat taboo because it's, it's kind of old school. It's kind of like, you know, you don't see the, the tent meetings anymore in the, in, out in the parking lots or out in the fields where they have the big tents and, and, the, and the revivalists come and you have a couple guys that are preaching 24-7 for like three days straight and they're just going at it and they're healing people. You don't see that anymore. You don't see the big revivals. Uh, it's unfortunate because revival, i.e. refreshments, as Peter calls it, is exactly what the church needs today. It's exactly what the church needs today. The church has three reasons to rejoice and expect refreshment. It has three reasons reasons to give glory to God and to expect revival today. The first is God fulfills his hope-giving promises in spite of and through the opposition of ignorant people. Secondly, God wipes away all the sins of people who repent and turn to Christ. And lastly, God desires to give his church a time of refreshment, and he will one day establish the kingdom of Christ upon this earth. So, as we, as we think about things, Anne had mentioned, and I had, I had echoed her, her thoughts this morning as we went to, uh, we went to prayer, we went to congregational prayer, um, some of the things that we think about is, is, is our government and we worry about what they're doing uh, out there. We worry about what they're doing with the budget, what they're doing with taxes, what we're doing with all of these different things. And what, what gives me hope for this nation, what gives me hope for this world, is that God fulfills his hope-giving purposes, his hope-giving promises, in spite of and through the opposition of ignorant people. So it doesn't, it says right there, and now, brethren, I, t- I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. Now, I don't like to put down any of our political leaders or anything like that, but really, when you get into a position as, as Anne has kind of put out there, we're, we're in trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. Okay? And this country is, is struggling. We're, we're, we've got all kinds of stuff going on. There's some ignorance going on. Okay, I mean, not only is there there's some ignorance going on, but I'm sure there's some other stuff going on that isn't too much on the up and up. But yet we still have a, a, a we still have a country. We still have a, a nation in which you know we are very very blessed. And I think that God is working through that. And that's why this morning when, when Ann asked for prayer, when I asked for prayer, I believe that God works through, even though some of our politicians and some of our leaders make some of the stupidest decisions that have ever been seen, they do it, and, you know, everybody's got their own opinion, but, I mean, it happens. And yet, God can work through those people who are ignorant and he can even work through those people who are in direct opposition to him. I mean, he did it back in the Jews' day. Uh, 
it, it just amazes me how God is glorified even through people who oppose Jesus and are ignorant of his purposes. The Jews in Christ's day were ignorant of who he was and of the prophecies of his coming. And yet despite their efforts to quash him and his message and, and, all, and his life and all that he stood for, despite all that, God's word was still fulfilled. Doesn't that just fill you with hope? That despite, you know, there, there are churches, uh, one, of the, one of the issues that a lot of the food banks in the area are facing is that Second Harvest uh, is coming down really hard on them. Actually, the, the, the state and the federal government through Second Harvest is coming down really hard on the food banks because they're saying, and a uh, pastor at one of the other churches that has a food bank has, has uh, told me this, has testified to this, but they're saying you can't pray if you're going to give out state, you know, mandate, you know, state-assisted uh, food you know, that you receive from the state through the food banks. You can't pray for the people anymore. You can't have a you can't have a message anymore. You can't you can't talk to them about Jesus. I mean, so if you're going to do that, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna not give you the food that 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 we have available and. It's unfortunate, but, you know, what is fortunate is that there are pastors out there who, regardless of what the state does, regardless of what the, the, the federal government does, they're still giving out food to the poor, even if it has to come out from their own pockets, from the pockets of the church, from the pockets of other churches like them. So, they're, they're, I mean, people are starving. The Basically, I don't know if you know anything about the, uh, about the food stamps, but if you... Being working in uh, social services and being very much tied to you know uh, lots of clients who who depend on food stamps, it's getting harder and harder to get food stamps. It's also getting less and less because the federal government is of course cutting back on food stamps, and so there are families that are struggling and they need to go to these 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 food banks to get uh, to get food. And yet the federal government is kind of, and the state government. So it's, we're, you know, people make, our leaders make, can make some really bad decisions. And yet God can be glorified through that. Paul speaking to the Jews in Antioch quotes Habakkuk saying, Behold you scoffers and wonder and perish, for I do a deed in your days, a deed you will never believe if one declare, declares it to you. God is right now working in the church. As the, as the federal government steps back and as, as, as things get tougher for those uh, who are needy, it, there's an opportunity for God to work through his church. The opportunity becomes more and more prevalent, more and more obvious of, the, of, of, of what we can do as a church to help those in need. This means that when God decrees to fulfill some good purpose for us, no amount of opposition from ignorance or godlessness can stop him. He will simply make all opposition and all ignorance serve his purposes. We don't, we don't see that sometimes, but, but it's true. I mean, even in that situation where I talked about the food banks and, and the state requiring uh, churches not to, not to pray or not to, not to uh, give any type of uh, uh, talk about Christ or anything like that, where, where they're pulling funding or they're pulling uh, food from those, you know, 
we see people stepping up and, and providing for those needs. We see churches digging deep and, and, and providing for, and filling in where the, where, where, where the federal governments and the state governments once supplied those things. Churches are now doing that. And it's all to the glory of God. It is all for the glory of God because in that, God is even more glorified when his people, uh, when his people provide those things that they can provide. Secondly, God wipes away all the sins of people who repent and turn to Christ. God wipes away all the sins of people who repent and turn to Christ. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Earlier in the book, Peter states, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance, turning from our sin, is the first step toward a time of refreshment. The first step toward a time of revival is that turning away from our sins. It's, it's as, as, as we as a church must repent of our sins and must singularly and completely devote and embrace the person and work of Christ in our life and in the life of this church. This means more than simply fearing the consequences of God's judgments. It means an honest inward look of who we are as a person and who we are as a church. The psalmist says, I acknowledge my sin to thee, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Then thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. And Solomon in his, in his Proverbs writes, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I, I have a men's meeting Thursday mornings. I think I've mentioned it before. But we meet, and, and this past Thursday, I brought up the subject of, of unity brought up the subject of, because as Ryan will tell you, I'm always harping on unity, but I brought up the subject of, of unity. A lot of, uh, a lot of people have different things that they, they, they kind of concentrate on. Um, I mean, to me, unity has to deal a lot with, uh, with love and with uh, Christ's will for the church. And in the, cha- in the John chapter 17, Christ very clearly points out that he, he, desires unity for his church. He desires that we would all be of one mind. And I'm not talking just this church here, but I'm talking all the churches and all the people who are believers in Christ, who follow Christ as their Savior. We would desi- we, he desires unity for them. And you know what? We, I, we, we talk about that. I talk about that in, in this men's group on Thursday. And we joke and we think, and, I, and I, the last, one of the last things I said to them as I was leaving, because I had to go off to work, I said, okay, now I want you to go back to your churches, and I want, to say, I want you to go back and say, we've got to get rid of all this denominationalism and just come together all as one church. And they all kind of chuckled and said, okay, sure, Sam. Like, that'll happen, you know? But, you know, I mean, we, there are things that we take for granted 
that the church as a whole, that churches as a whole, take for granted as being okay, as being acceptable, because we can't figure a way around it, and yet we continue in those things. I mean, even, even our nation, even our society does that. And, and the church follows along like, like a puppy dog on a leash. You know, we, we accept things like divorce. We accept things like, um, like, uh, premarital sex. Some churches accept things like gay marriage and homosexuality. I mean, that's where, that's where we're going. But even something as simple as denominationalism, in which we accept these divisions between churches, between believers, because of, because of, of some, some issue or something. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things that have to be worked out and have to be agreed upon. We have to have a basic understanding of what the gospel is and what it means to us. And then we can just, you know, for the sake of unity, just throw it all out the door. But as if you recall in my previous sermon when I talked about um, how they had all, the, the believers had all devoted themselves uh, to the discipline of, 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 of the apostles' teaching and working that out and, 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 and in prayer. And, you know, the only reason the church today is not unified is because we don't do that and because we don't trust in the Holy Spirit to perform the miracle that would unify us, whether it be giving us understanding and agreement on, on different doctrines or whatever. We're, we're, not, we're not trusting in God to do that. And so because of that, we stand divided. And if I read my Bible correctly, a house divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. It's very clear. So our adversary, Satan, is very smart. And way back when, when we were all together and we were all on the same page, the first thing he did was he said, i got to figure out how to, how to divide these people up. And he worked on that even in, even in, in, in Jerusalem where he said, that, you know, uh, some of the Jews were saying, no, 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 you, you, you have to be circumcised to be, to be a Christian. And, and, and Paul had to fight against that. And there was long counsels and discussions and, 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 and prayer and reliance upon the Holy Spirit to bring everyone into an understanding, of everyone into one mind. And yet we don't do that today. We just, we just go, okay, well, if that's what you think, that's fine. We'll just agree to disagree and go our separate ways. We don't want to do the hard work of sitting down with a brother and sister in Christ and saying, and looking at the scriptures and praying through them and depending upon the Holy Spirit to guide us and give us the truth as, as the Word of God tells us He will. Revelations 20.12 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before a throne. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. The second part of that verse is that your sins may be blotted out. So first we need to repent of those things that 
that keep us from being who we are to be in Christ, that keep us from being the church that we are to be. But secondly, if we do those things, then it says that, that your sins may be blotted out. Blotted out. You know, I remember when I, think, when I thought of blotted out, I, I remember I used to have this old bottle of whiteout. Do you remember the old bottles of whiteout? They don't, they don't make them anymore. They've kind of gotten rid of I mean, I guess you can still get them. But they used to have like, like a little paintbrush at the bottom of this little thing. And, and the caps would get all full of the stuff. And like you would, it would dry and you'd like need a wrench to get the cap off. And it was, a, but I remember those and you would get this goopy stuff if you didn't have thinner in the, in the bottle and you didn't shake it up. You'd get this goopy stuff and you'd take and you would blot out the mistake that you'd made on that piece of paper so that you could write over it. And it was difficult to write over because it usually came out really clumpy. And But anyways, you would blot out the mistake you had made. Peter here is talking about how Christ, because of what he's done for us on the cross, because of the saving grace that is available to us, if we turn from our sin and we repent of that, because of that, we have an opportunity to have our sins blotted out. Even so, the church has an opportunity to have its past sins and, 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 and problems blotted out if we would only turn from those things and repent of them and in obedience to Christ's Word, to the Word of God, move forward and seek His favor and His grace. Psalms 69.28 says, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. It's interesting. We don't think about, oftentimes we don't think about the books or the records that God is keeping of the righteous and the unrighteous. We don't consider that our name is in one or the other depending on what we have done, depending on whether or not we have come to accept Christ as our Savior. Revelations 20.12 says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. So there's at least two. Also another book was opened, maybe three, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. Christ gives us an opportunity if we repent, if we turn from our sin, Christ is willing to blot out our name, blot out our sin from that, that record that is being kept of all of those things. Because there will come a time, and, and we, will, we will talk about this, where when Christ returns, and there will be a reckoning, because God, because Christ, God through Christ will put all things right. And all things will be made, made perfect, made new. But there will be a time when we'll have to account for those things. But Christ, if you repent of your sins and you accept Him as, as your Savior and you walk in obedience to His Word, He will blot out those sins. He will blot them out for you and me. So that is, that is, that is reason to give glory and to rejoice and to have hope for this future. 
knowing that all we have to do is accept His gracious gift. All we have to do is understand the penalty that He paid for you and I upon that cross. Understand that first, we are sinners. And as sinners, we need to turn from our sin and embrace our Lord and our Savior, Christ Jesus. If we do that, our sins will then be blotted out and no longer remembered. Finally, God desires to give His church a time of refreshment and He will one day establish the kingdom of Christ upon this earth. Verse, continuing in verse 19, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for establishing all that God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from old. Notice three wonderful things about these these final few verses and the hope that they provide for our future. There are three really, really neat, really wonderful things that, that, that are pointed out here. The first being, our future includes times of refreshments. Times of refreshment. There have been times throughout history since the beginning of the church where the church have waxed, has waxed and waned and has, 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 has been... Um, has been in, in states where where it is has been uh, really dry, and then there have also been times when there has been such a spiritual fire, such a movement that miracles were happening and, and thousands were being were, were being brought to Christ, and it, it was just amazing. And there are periods of time throughout history. Many pastors lump this, this, this time of establishing, um, lump the, the times of refreshment with that times of establishment. I, I, I personally believe that it's, it's two different things. I think that as, as, as time moves through, that there, is, there are times in which God works through the Holy Spirit and, and refreshes His church, revives His church. And we've seen it. We've seen revival. There's been accounts of revival in, in the history. I think we are on the cusp, possibly. I, I, I'm not a prophet, so I can't say. But I hope that we are on the, the cusp of another revival. Because as this postmodernism and, and as modernism kind of declines and postmodernism takes, takes hold, there's this new emphasis on, on, on spirituality. Previously, in, in, in modernism, the emphasis was on doctrine and on theology. You had to have your doctrine right. You had to have your theology correct. correct. And that's part of the reason why we have all of this denominationalism, because nobody could agree on what exactly you know, all the little points mean and everything. You know, uh, they, they couldn't agree on every single little detail. And so I think as, as we move forward... Um, if we are obedient to Christ, if we've repented from uh, a church, as repented as, as a church from the sins of the past, and as the Holy Spirit moves and works, and, and, and as this new age of, of, of spirituality, because these days you can't talk 
to a young person anymore about church. They don't want to hear it. They, won't have, they don't want anything to do with the big walls and the, and the, well, the, 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 the fancy windows or the crosses or anything. You can't talk to them about church anymore. It's really hard to talk to you. You, you, you say, hey, can I talk to you about church? They say, no. But if you turn to them and you say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? It's amazing how many people are willing to talk to you about Jesus, but not so much church. Because we emphasize the church, because as soon as we emphasize church, then we start emphasizing, well, well what church are you with? Well, I'm with uh, Christ Fellowship. Well, who are they with? Well, they're with the Mennonites. Or I'm with this church. Well, who are they? Well, they're with the Baptists. And that's, that's the wrong mentality that we, that, that unfortunately we are stuck in. We need to get out of that and we need to start talking about Jesus Christ. And so that when they say, well, who are you with? They said, I'm a follower of Christ. And it doesn't matter what the name on the outside of the church is or what denomination or conference you're under. All you need to know is that I'm a follower of Christ. We are followers of Christ. So, our future includes times of refreshment. These, these times of revival that I, I hope and I pray are, are coming, I believe that uh, these times will also, that they will come only when there is true repentance. Only, as I said before, only when we, when we truly turn away from all of the nonsense, all of the bickering, all of the infighting. The reason the church today does not have the, 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 the influence that it once had and really, it should be an influence that comes from the margins. I mean, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. But the reason we cannot affect what... I mean, back in, in Peter's day, they had 3,000 convert in one day. I mean, by the end of the week, there were 5,000 men. And then their women and children, the families that were included in that. I mean, we're talking about a serious movement of the Spirit, of the, of the Holy Spirit. And yet we don't see that today. We don't see that power, that influence that the church has and that ability to affect community anymore. Because what does the, what does the Scripture say? They will, they will, that song we were singing the other day, They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. The world sees our divisions. The world see, they look at us and they say, well, they, they can't even make up their own minds. They can't even figure out what, 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 what the message that they're agreeing upon. Why should we follow them? Why should we look to them? And so it saddens me. It saddens me. But true repentance, true repentance means confession, confession, an, an honest confession of what we are doing, of how we are not acting like the body of Christ. We're not acting as Christ wants us 
to behave. We're not being obedient in the fact that we are not of one mind. And because of that, we have a poor witness, a poor testimony, which this entire book is all about. It's all about how to testify, how to be a witness as a church. And yet, it shows us the poverty of our own testimony because we have no unity within the church itself. So we confess that sin and in obedience. Now, you say, well, how do we do that? Do we throw away all the denominations? This, this is what the gentlemen at the, at, the, at the breakfast meeting were laughing about because they were like, oh, throw that away. We can't do that. It begins with you and me. And it begins with a mindset where we're not going to worry about whether what church person comes from or, or what, what denomination they're part of. We're going to worry about are they or are they not a brother and sister in Christ. And if they're a brother and sister in Christ, we're going to rejoice with them, we're going to pray with them, we're going to, we're going to um, devote our times to studying the apostles' teaching, the doctrine with them, we're going to fellowship with them, and if they're not a brother or sister in Christ, then we're going to witness to them. And how much easier that would be if we could do it hand in hand with someone that, that they don't expect us to be holding hands with. That would be a testimony. Our future will be, second thing that, of the three wonderful things that this, this, these last few verses Verses show us is our future will be with Jesus. Our future will be with Jesus. It states clearly right there, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive into the time for establishing. And before that it says uh, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So either with the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ or the physical presence at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a promise there that our future will be with Jesus. And finally, literally this verse reads, until the time for restoration of all things, our future includes a new world. Our future, your future, my future, the future of those who believe, the future of the church includes a new world, a world much like the Garden of Eden, only better. A world where all pain, all tragedy, all catastrophe, all frustration and futility will be no more. This morning we prayed for the illnesses of our loved ones and for the sickness and for uh, the, the hurts and the need for employment and for all of these different things, and that will all be gone. And the only prayers that we will have, the only, uh, the, the only thing we will be able to voice is praises and glory and hallelujah because all that will be will be established and will be finalized and will be rectified by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we will, we will no more have pain, hurt, hunger, violence, pollution, all of those things that we, we, we rail against. None of that will be for us. So finally, the church 
the church has three reasons to rejoice, and we need to, to understand this. The church has three reasons to give glory to God. The church has three reasons that, that, that Peter outlines here to, to be a witness to this world and to this community. First of, first off, that God fulfills his promises. He f- fulfills his promises and, and all his purposes for good for his church, regardless, despite, in the face of, and without threat of any opposition or ignorance. There's no one out there that can overcome our Lord and Savior because he has overcome the world. There's nothing out there that can separate us from him or from his love and his purposes and his, his plans for our church, for, our, for his people. Secondly, God wipes away all the sins of the people who repent and turn to Christ. Your sin, my sin, everything that we've done, this, this baggage of guilt that we live with every day, gone, wiped away, cast into the furthest sea, no longer to be thought of or remembered by a Lord and Savior because he has blotted it out. If we just repent And finally, God desires to give his church a time of refreshment, a time of revival. And he will one day establish his kingdom on this earth. That is what we look, have to look forward to. That is what we have to, to rejoice about, to give glory to God for. So I echo, amen. So I echo the prayer of John Piper. When he prays, he says, when I pray for revival, I began the sermon this morning with this prayer, this, this prayer that he prayed. He said, when I pray for revival, for refreshment, I pray first for the most radical thing, the utter devotion and allegiance of your hearts to Christ. Not only for us here in this room, for the, but for the church as a whole the utter devotion and allegiance to Christ, to our Lord and Savior. The utter devotion and allegiance of our hearts to our Lord and Savior Christ so that we would walk in obedience, in His light, in His truth, and in doing so, we would be of one mind. That you would love Him so deeply and long for him so passionately that his coming would be your great hope and death would be gained because you would be with him. And life, this life right now, every moment, every minute, every hour, every second would be for Christ and for his kingdom. That is my prayer. I echo that prayer with John Piper for you that we would be that committed, that passionate, that, that devoted. And it's a radical thing. But if it happens, times of refreshment and revival are just around the corner. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. And Father, we, we echo that prayer, John Piper. His prayer for 
radical devotion, for radical hearts that are on fire for you, that are in love with you, that desire nothing more than your Son, Christ Jesus, and His kingdom. That we seek His kingdom first. And all that other stuff, all the details, all the, all, all the nonsense, all that other stuff will take care of itself if we just seek your kingdom first. So Father God, I pray that in a unified mind, in a mind where we are one, as Christ prays for us in chapter, John chapter 17, that we would be of one mind. Lord, I pray not only this church, but all churches and all believers throughout this country, throughout uh, this, this, this world, and Lord, Father God, for all time, Father God, that we would be of one mind, be your church, your body, your bride, ready to receive her groom. Father God, I pray this in the blessed name of your Son, Christ Jesus.